You're listening to episode 23 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello and welcome back to Take the Reins. I have a bit of a special episode for you today. Normally, today would be an individual episode. However, I completed this interview with Lynn Kearns, I think it was just last week, and both her and I agreed that this is an episode that needs to be aired ASAP. So, I figured scrap my regular routine and I'm going to bring you an interview that I recorded with Lynn. Now, the interview was recorded with the intentions of it going on her podcast and Lynn runs the podcast Creative Spirits Unleashed and uh, so she invited me onto the show. We recorded the episode and we both agreed that'd be fantastic if we could share the episode to both of our audiences. So here you are. I hope that it helps you in this time of need. If you are feeling like you need um, a little extra support, I hope that this is something that that gives that to you. Now, Lynn is officially an executive coach that focuses deeply on leadership. She says that her unofficial title is professional unleasher, and she really focuses on people, uh, on being able to unleash the real you in people. So, you know, if you believe that you have to choose between performing under pressure and having to work life, having that work-life balance, Um, she kind of encourages that she thinks that you might be making a false choice. And what if you need both in order to get what you truly want? So I encourage you to go and look up Lynn Kearns. Uh, If you look up lynnkearns.com, you'll find everything there. She's done a TED Talk. She has some great work out there. And it's L-Y-N-N-C-A-R-N-E-S.com. So I encourage you to check her out on... Uh, on her website, but also on social media. And uh, I'm going to hop right into the episode today. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're doing well. I hope that you found a new routine within this crazy, you know, unprecedented time. And that not only have you found a new routine to get you through your days right now, but that you've also been able to find ways to be able to bring this new routine into your regular life so that, you know, if there's anything that you have let go of 
because you absolutely have to right now and it's not something that lights you up and it's it's not something that um, you really want to bring back into your life and you're free to create boundaries around it, then I encourage you to look into that. I encourage you to dig a little deeper there and I encourage you to really create a new normal for yourself once our world gets back to quote-unquote normal. Anyway, hope you enjoy this interview. If you do, reach out to either myself or Lynn. We'd love to hear from you. We love the feedback. Back and here we go. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's been a little bit of a long time coming. I feel like we we've both been like, gotta get on the show. So I'm really excited. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you're here and that we were able to make this work both from time and mm-hmm. what's going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, I know these podcasts will live past, you know, April of 2020, but I don't think history will ever forget that March and April of 2020, the whole world changed. Oh, absolutely. There's a huge shift happening. Um, I have no doubt that this all happened for a reason. And I think it's going to create a really positive shift. I know that there's a lot of negative wrapped up in the whole situation because it's impacting people and, you know, financially and health-wise and in so many different ways. Um, but I really think there's a positive on the other side of this. And I know that those of them or those of you who are being impacted negatively, that's a hard thing to say and listen to. Um, but I think you're going to see a major shift happen. I believe we are in the middle of a, an amazing shift. And the problem is it has to be a painful shift too. Right. And it's full of fear. Yeah. Um, In fact, I was just talking to somebody who said they had gone to the grocery store and everybody kind of had their head down. And I said the same thing the last time I went. I was like, it's like everyone's scared to even make eye contact. Yeah. It's like eye contact creates the virus or something. Yeah. And I'd like to talk about that because, um, you know, I've been reading your book. It's a phenomenal book, uh, you know, The Conscious Communicator. And there's so much in that language, those, just those two words, but I pulled up a quote that you said that I want to sort of use as a launching point in this conversation. And it is this, it says, when we work with horses, they reflect who and what we are. If we are anxious, they become anxious. If we are fearful, they become fearful. And if we are calm, they become calm. Mm Mm-hmm the grocery store experience, mm-hmm. the going out in the street experience, the am I going to die experience? Am I going to pay my mortgage experience? All of these, I think, have just actually not started or created fear, but I think it's uncovered fear that we've always had. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your what you've learned about fear through working with these magnificent animals who can do nothing but share with us who we are? Absolutely. So I really think that it comes down to leadership. And when I think of people in the grocery store, right, and especially right now, leaders are the people that are stepping up and trying to uh, induce a calm versus a panic. And with our horses, our horses are always looking for a leader. And if you are presenting yourself as if you are trying to establish a leadership role with a horse, 
and your energy is putting out nervousness, fear, anxiety, then you're essentially communicating to them, you should be fearful, you should be nervous. Um, And so oftentimes, a lot of us will actually try to like cover up our fear when we're working with our horses, because fear gets triggered in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to, I'll tell a little story about that. Um, I'm going to jot down a note so I get back to it, but mom's story, remind me to go back to that. Um, But when it comes to our horses, if, if we're being triggered in, in a multitude of ways, uh, when it comes to fear or anxiety or just a lack of presence in general, then they're looking to us in order to know how to feel because there's no, there's no, um, disconnect of our energy with them. Right. So, you know, if I am presenting a strong body language and I have a smile on my face and I'm trying to like fake it till I make it, but my energy is full of fear and anxiety, they're going to respond based on the energy and they're actually going to be, um, they're going to be confused and frustrated by the lack of continuity between how we look and how we actually feel. Um, So I feel like that's happening in our society right now as well, where you have people going to the grocery store. And I I know when I was there, I was responding to the people around me because I kind of went in feeling like, okay, well, I'm like pretty protected right now. There's a guy counting the amount of people coming into the store. They've closed down the store so I can only go in one side. I'm not going to be crossing paths with people who are leaving. They've had lines on the ground. So I feel like I'm, it's structured. I know that they're putting measures in place that make me feel really safe. But then when I looked around, the people that were in the store were presenting this energy about them of, of actually not feeling safe and not feeling guided. They were feeling really nervous still. And it automatically transferred into me where I was like, should I, should I be looking at people? Should I still smile? Like, should I still feel like, um, like are still our friendly selves. Right. Um, and I feel like right now, it's so easy to get caught up in that energy of fear. And I think that the most important part really is when we're looking for leadership right now, make sure that we're looking for leadership in the right places. So don't, don't turn on the news and expect to be able to walk away and feel really good and feel really positive. Um, One thing that I'm noticing is that when I turn off the news and I select the people that I'm listening to, I look to, you know, make sure that I'm going to reputable places to find my information. Another great tip is I don't go to places that have a lot of images. So a lot of places that have video, I'm not watching video. I'm making sure that I'm reading the words and interpreting them on my own versus having headlines flash at me and all of these things that are making um, mixed messages between what the actual message is and then what my perceived um notion of what the message might be based on whether it be uh, different things that are flashing up in front of me or whatever that might be. So making sure that, that when we're looking at the situation, we're doing so from a place of clarity, um, making sure that 
we are in control of the situation and very similar to when we're working with our horses that we're looking at it from a very present place. So make sure this is, this is one thing that I'm noticing a lot. A lot of people are sharing um, information that's outdated. And when I say outdated, outdated might be yesterday versus five minutes ago. Things so, are moving fast. They're so moving so fast. And so it's really important to make sure that you're working on current information to know that, that you are feeling as safe as possible um, and that you can rely on the information that is being given to you. And that's very similar with our horses. Our horses need to be able to rely on the information that's being given to them. And if they can't, then it's really hard to trust and respect that information. And some, and they just want to take things into their own, into their own hands. And it's the same with us. We'll, we'll, we'll just start taking things into our own hands. Which I think I've seen people doing a lot of. And Mm -hmm. I love that you said it really comes down to leadership. And then the other word I think that's so critical is congruence. Yeah. Being the same on the inside as we are on the outside. Yeah. And if we are scared, absolutely make sure that you share it. Even with our animals, our animals aren't necessarily going to be afraid because we're afraid. They're afraid when we're actually afraid, but we're showing we're not. The incongruence is worse than actually being true. That vulnerability is so relatable for animals and people, and it really establishes that connection. The disconnect happens when we're not authentic and we're not in congruence. So that's that's what I that's what I'm really curious to like take another dive in, maybe yeah. peel back a couple of more layers on. Sure. And I'm going to start with actually a horse example, but I think that the same thing is actually happening with people as well. But I'll give you a quick story that happened with me just the other day. Um, you're a horse trainer and very, very experienced. I have to acknowledge that I've only been at this for about a little over a year after. Congratulations. About, thank you. Thinking I knew about riding horses um, and discovering that what I knew fit on the head of a pen and what I needed to know fits in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Oh, don't, Lynn, honestly, you can do this for another 45 years. And so I've been riding since I was seven. I just turned 36 today. Oh, congratulations. Um, birthday. Thank you. And I, there are days I go out, Lynn, and I feel like it's my first day in the saddle. It's my first day putting on a, a halter. And my husband and I, when we do clinics, I think right now we're at almost a thousand horses over the five or six years that we've been doing it. And those are just like weekend clinics. Um, and then there's horses that we work on the side as well. So, you know, you can, the more, you know, the more you feel like you don't know. So congratulations on jumping in. I want to say it gets better. (laughs) Well, and and so I've taken lots of different angles. I am a complete sponge on this. Mm -hmm. Um, So what that means is I've tried, I'm writing Western, I'm writing English. Good for you. I'm doing the groundwork. Um, You know, you mentioned that you had heard my podcast with Bruce Anderson Mm -hmm. and the work he does on the ground is some of the most transformative work I've done. And I've done a lot of transformational work. Um, So I'm sort of aware of that leadership role with the horse. So the other day I had finished, um, this is my English riding lesson. It's on the biggest horse I've ever been on. He's over 17 hands. Mm. I grew up in the quarter horse world where there may be 15 hands Mm -hmm. that somehow 
that, that, that little bit of difference somehow gives my, my mind the perception that things are better lower to the ground. Not necessarily <laughs> true, but no. so, but I'm on this big horse. And after we finished a really kind of a breakthrough lesson, cause I'm just learning how to post, can't keep my heels down to save my life and all of this. And it was a very intense lesson. And he, my instructor said, why don't you ride him around the field and come back? And this is where the leadership really comes in because he is not on a trail with other horses where there's another horse that's the leader. He had to be the leader or had to be the uh, first one in line. And that it was my job actually to be the leader. Well, the, the last time I was actually out on a trail where I was the leader, I got to spend three days in the hospital because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so there was that fear, which um, felt very justified to me. Yep. And as we were heading out there, you know, he's got his tuners tuned up and I'm trying to give him confidence. But at the same time, I'm recognizing, you know, I can't help but notice that there's somebody in the next field over running a four wheeler around and right. that the wind is blowing and that a gate that looked like it should have been open is closed. And, you know, that there was this big black burl on one of the trees that he seemed very concerned about. Mm -hmm. um, just all those little things. And so I found myself feeling like I knew to be his leader. Mm -hmm. But being able to get myself energetically in the place where I was congruent and really being his leader was different. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear how you, how you get one to reconcile that in the face of, I don't want to say I was in huge danger, but I, I do realize that if a horse gets afraid as the one I was riding before, and I don't know what I'm doing, um, that horse kicked up and out I went, you know, yeah. Yeah. what, do you do what's your guidance for people as a leader to get themselves to be congruent? That's a really, really good question. And I absolutely love the story because um, my husband and I actually teach their trail clinics. Now we've, we, when we started this path of trail clinics, it was kind of like we wanted to, cause we were both competing in like an ultimate trail type class and we wanted to be able to share our ability to be able to introduce and get horses confident on obstacles. And it's transformed over the last few years into more of a communication style clinic. So it's a communication clinic with your horse only. We use obstacles as props and they really establish our ability to be able to give people something to work towards and then feel really good about what's happened on the other side of it. So it's very rewarding for people. Mm. So I love that you are able to kind of tap into the fact that you have a past experience that created this fear, but your horse needs you on a different level right now. Um, and oftentimes what happens is we go on these trail rides and we really rely on other horses to be the leader for our horse. So when we have people in our clinics, I'm going to use the water box for an example because it's normally everyone's trigger, right? So it's not necessarily every horse's trigger, but it's almost every person's trigger where they're like, oh gosh, my horse hates water. Oh, I can't do that. The last time I took my horse to water this, so there's a lot of multiple, or there's a multitude of stories that come along with it. So what, uh, what often happens is you'll see a horse stop at the water box and it immediately makes people feel like they can't handle the situation. Mm. So it triggers a fear that they can't get it done. 
And oftentimes I will hear people say, well, that horse over there had no problem with the, with the water box. Why don't I just get my horse to follow that horse through? Hmm. And I always say to them, if you were on a trail ride right now and your ability to get home safely depended on your horse getting through this water and that you knew that was that safety would happen if you had your horse walk behind another horse, then I would say 100%. But in our clinics, the purpose of working with these horses is for them to begin to look to us for leadership. So at no point do I want my horse following another horse to take on leadership. I want to be able to work through every second of that communication for that horse to finally look to me and say, oh, I think that, I think that you are giving me an option that's safe. I can try for you. And the try is really the most important part, right? So when we get a horse that says, I can try for you, that's, that's the biggest win. So when we think about going into situations like you were in, where you just go off into the trail, there's a couple different things that you can do. First, I would suggest that you make sure that you center yourself before you go, mm-hmm. which you know, if you're, if you're versed in grounding techniques, then you might be able to do that really quickly. I'm actually in the process of creating meditations for riders that they can take along with them on their phone and they can start with them before they enter the barn or when they're in the barn, or maybe they need to, you know, tap into their energy or tune into themselves while they're riding. And that would be a really good opportunity if you're not someone that's used to being able to really calm yourself naturally um, or on your own quite yet, you haven't been overly practiced in it, then that would be a good alternative. But really just tapping into your energy and you might even just like place your hand on their neck and say, I'm going to take a deep breath. Let's take a deep breath. I think we're going to go for a ride. Like, mm-hmm. and you're, you're, it sounds silly to talk yourself through it, but when you're able to talk yourself through it and you're talking to your horse, um, it's in less of like, I know that you understand what I'm saying and more, I know that you know what I'm feeling right now. And it's just that acknowledgement of how you're feeling and where you'd like to go and how you'd like to feel. So I'm going to give a a little bit of a story here, a little example here um, with actually a ride that I'm doing with my horse in the arena. So I have a new horse to me. His name is Ford and he's a four-year-old Rainer and he is just like the most innocent little guy. He's so funny, but there's a corner in the, in the arena right now. And I'm sure that people can relate to this. It doesn't seem to matter if you've been riding in the arena for like 20 years or 20 minutes, but there's always like this place in the arena that a horse will be like, okay, that's it. That's where all the tigers come from. (laughs) So just so you know, I'm going to keep my eye on that spot for the rest of my life. And my goal as a rider and as a horsewoman is for him to walk into my arena and be like, there might be tigers in all these corners, but if you feel good, if you feel safe, then I feel safe. Mm. So I was actually listening to a training by Dean Graziosi the other day, and he was talking about our focus when it comes to our fear and our focus in, when it comes to the direction that we're looking to go. And so he told a story about a gentleman who was actually a white water raft guide. And this particular day, this carload of gentlemen with their children came along and the rapids were really, really high and it, the water looked really dangerous. And all of the, the fathers said, nope, 
We're not sending the kids out onto the water. And he said, the guy just pointed his finger and said, this is the point of positivity. So he went on to explain to Dean that in his early years of being a guide, and they'd be going down this, you know, this really intense water and, you know, he'd look at it and he'd tell his boat of people, do not go near those rapids. Do not paddle towards those rapids. Do not paddle towards that stump. And he was constantly looking for places to tell people not to go. And then he discovered that when he was focusing his energy there, then he was focusing other people's energy there and they would end up there. And he was ending up in these situations where people were being tossed out of boats and in these dangerous situations that he was really well-intended in avoiding. Now, after I read this or heard this story, I went to my arena and for the last, I don't even know how long it's been now, a couple months, I walked into the arena and for the last couple of months, he's, he's been nervous of this corner in the arena. And this day I changed my mindset walking in. And I said, I'm not going to tell him where I don't want him to be. I'm going to start focusing on where I want him to go. So this guide said that when he started saying, look at me, and he would point and say, paddle there. So he would never talk about the things or the places he didn't want his, his people in his boat to go. He would just say, go here. And so when he was able to point exactly where he wanted to go, then they always made it safely. They were always in a safe place because he was focused on that safe and very positive direction. So I hopped on my horse the other day and I was like, this is the energy I'm riding with. So I'm at no point am I going to say, please don't put your attention there. At no point am I going to say, don't look over there. Don't be scared. I'm going to say, I feel you. Let's go over here. I feel you. Come here with me. So I was so focused on a focus that he was able to let down and relax because I was so aware of, I guess my awareness shifted off of the thing the same way I was expecting his awareness to shift off of the thing. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, that is such a great story. I, I've actually, I ran into the same kind of experience, both white water rafting and snow skiing. Oh, interesting. The tree, I call it going to the white space mm-hmm. and you know, being aware that there may be a tree in the middle of the slope. But the only way I don't ski to the tree, and believe me, I've done it many times, (laughs) is to focus on the white space. And I took a group of women white water rafting um, last year for a leadership program. And this was where we actually did class four rapids on our own in a single boat. Oh, wow. And so there was a lot of opportunity for for falling in, and there was a lot of falling in the river. But, But what we discovered was that we had to focus on what we wanted. Because as soon as he would say, you need to avoid that rock on the left, mm-hmm. or one of the places was, it was called the, the shoot of shame, I think. Because, Sounds terrifying. Yeah, because you had to do a really <laughs> strong dig to go to the right, or you went to the left through the shoot of shame. Oof. Well, as soon as he said the shoot of shame, guess what it gave half the people a chance to do is experience it because they didn't want to. Right. It was like, okay, I don't want that. And that's exactly what they got. Yep. So I completely understand that principle and, you know, it's the application of it under pressure, I think, that gets Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. The pressure is an interesting topic as well, Lynn, because I've been going through a lot of um, my own personal digging or um, 
I don't know how to put it, but I want to say just thinking about it, but I feel like it goes a little deeper than that. But when I think of the things that we expect of our horses, right? So we expect them to be able to think through pressure. We expect them to be able to shift into a state of relaxation when they naturally feel like they should be running and fleeing and they're in this state of anxiety. We want to be able to have our horses be focused and present with us all the time. Mm -hmm. But yet those things are so challenging for all of us to do. And I think this is really my mission um, is to teach people how to be and do the very things we expect of our horses outside of our horses. So do all of that. Learn how to shift yourself from anxious to focused and relaxed learn how to think through pressure, learn how to uh, try when someone is asking with a, bare, with a very small amount of pressure. So many things that you know, you're going to look for your horse to be able to do, but do all of those things and know that you're strong at those things on your own and then think of how much better of a leader you'll be and how much more clear you'll be in your communication with your horse when you're coming from a place where you are excelling at the very things you're expecting them of. That's such a, that's really the walking your talk message, right? Yeah. And ask what, what sort of came to me as you were talking about what we ask of our horses under pressure and, and by using pressure, by the way, mm-hmm. is what we're, what we're facing today. And frankly, what we're really, what we're facing today is a giant change effort that requires yeah. giant leadership. And, you know, I've, I grew up in the corporate world where we were doing this all the time, having these kind of changes. And what, I, what came up for me was showing people they can do it. So I was just on the, on the conversation this morning with one of my coaching clients who is on the front lines of this virus thing. Mm-hmm. And two days ago when I spoke with her, was trying to carry everybody and was crushing under the tiredness and the burden. Mm-hmm. Um, in the interim, she tapped into that sort of um, her spiritual guidance and it transformed so that instead of her trying to carry everybody, she was showing everybody how they could help themselves in a way. She was showing them their own abilities to perform under pressure. And that's when you told the story about how to have the horse do what we're asking him to do, it Mm -hmm. reminded me of that. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And trusting that it's not her responsibility to carry it, that A, all of us are able, and that the only responsibility might be that she can open eyes and show people, but that it isn't her responsibility to actually do the thing. And I think that transfers over to our animals as well, not taking on that personal baggage, the responsibility of other people's responses, uh, the responsibility of how other people are interpreting things. We can guide them in a certain direction. We can try our best to show them that they're safe. We can try our best to show them through compassion and empathy and understanding as much as possible and know that that's good enough. Know that that is really the best that we can do in any situation. Well, this was actually one of my big insights when I actually shifted from being a a little girl that watched cowboy movies and thought that (laughs) riding horses was what I saw in the movies to understanding 
who these incredible animals really are mm -hmm. was the, the depth of, you use the word try, mm -hmm. depth of connection and willingness to be courageous for us that they can be. Yeah. I had no idea. Now I have worked with dogs for years. I have a Doberman and I have a really big belief that if you're going to have a dog like a Doberman, who's a big alpha kind of dog, you better damn well be an alpha leader or you're going to have a very scary animal running your household. Yep. And so I've been pretty darn good with dogs, but for some reason I had a mental block to actually understand that horses could be trained in the same way, you know, mm -hmm. that, they, that they have the ability to try for us. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're talking about is unlocking mm -hmm. their try for us and having them get their own confidence and operate with what they are responsible for. Yeah. It's interesting because I have had quite a few people come into our clinics who work with dogs and are very successful with dogs and they were having issues with their horse. Their horse um, wasn't respecting boundaries or maybe they were having a hard time establishing boundaries in the first place or understanding the importance of them. Um, and their communication was just a little blurry or a lot blurry. And as soon as I started talking about certain things that they could relate to dogs, then you could see the light bulbs go off. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been doing for so long. I don't know why I didn't make the connection. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? That's exactly how I felt when I realized that how I communicated with my husband was the same way I was communicating with my horse. <laughs> I love right. it. I love it. Well, that's one when I, uh, the biggest difference, of course, between the dog and the horse, and this is, I think this is fundamental, but you still are communicating is the prey versus predator. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that need to be super sort of alpha with my Doberman it's, mm -hmm. and with a, in the horse world, it's more like I need to remember that their need for safety not right. their need for boundaries. Although both animals need safety and boundaries. I just think mm -hmm. the priority is different. Yep. No, I completely agree. So, um, so you mentioned that you have a rainer. Is that your, is that the primary kind of riding that you do is with raining? Well, it is. And it's funny because you know, when you start something new and I know that you probably feel this actually, because you're new to the riding world. Do you remember the very first time that you said you were a rider hmm. where you're like, I'm, I remember the, one individual I met a few years ago and she became a good friend of mine. Actually, her name is Cammie. Mm. And the first time I ever met her, she was, I think she was within her first year of riding. And she looked at me, I shook her hand. She was coming into a clinic with us. And uh, she said, hi, yeah, my name's Cammie, but I'm not actually a rider. And I said, what, what do you mean? You're not a rider. You're in the clinic, like you're, you're riding a horse in the clinic, correct? Well, yeah, but I don't lope. I just walk and jog. I'm not a rider. And I said, well, Cammie, we're going to start here. The very first thing we're going to start with right now is that I never want to hear you say you're not a rider again because you're riding in our clinic. You're 100% a rider. And she was like, oh, okay. So now she's like, she'll scream it from the rooftops that she's a rider. But I say that because I'm still at that point right now where I want to say to you, Lynn, I'm not a rainer, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> I and you're aware um, of that. That's why. Yeah. So yeah. So I am a rainer, which is maybe the first time that I've actually said that like out loud and, and trying to own it. I bought my rainer in, I think it was August of this past summer. And 
So we're still getting to know each other. I come from an English background. So I was a hunter girl for Mm. years. And then I met my husband when I was, I believe I was 25, 24 or 25. And he was a cattle penner of all things, which is like the complete opposite of what I had grown up with. It was so out of my comfort zone. And so I jumped right in and he rode with all the open riders. He was an open rider himself or is an open rider. And I had no choice but to sink or swim. And so I got put on some really awesome horses and put on some phenomenal teams. And I learned the art of speed (laughs) and uh, I'm not an adrenaline person. So it was really, um, it was really difficult for me to shift out of like the perfection of the hunter world and into going in and doing something based on, on time. And so that was a bit of a challenge, but the one thing that I really noticed was the refreshing change that came along with, with changing my discipline. I stepped out of a very competitive world that was very political. Mm-hmm. And I stepped into a very competitive world that was very supportive. Hmm. And so the way that I saw that was you'd go in and you know somebody would take a run and their horse would come out and their horse might hitch a little. And at no point would you see somebody go, oh my gosh, their horse is lame. That's terrible. They need to go home. You would see people go up and they would say, I see that your horse is a little off. Will you want to take my horse for your next run? Yeah. And I'm like, what? Did What just happened? People are offering other people their horses in order to be able to go and compete against them. It was like, it just blew me away. So It is, it is very different worlds. I was at the NRHA uh, Futurity in Oklahoma City in December. And so was I. You were? I was, yeah. Oh, if we only had known each other. Right, yeah. Oh. Um, so... What I noticed, of course, these are three-year-olds mm-hmm. and there's thousands of them. And I only saw one horse remotely shy in any way, shape or form. I was a yeah. friend of mine that owns several rainers was at Silver Spurs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, right there in the main area where they do the warm up before they go in the big arena. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching all of the horses warm up right before they went in. And then when her horses performed, we would run down and watch them, you know, from that special gate. Yeah. But those, you know, you know, these horses are like walking through, it's practically stores. All these people have their shops. Set oh, up. absolutely. Yeah. And I marveled because I live right down the road from where the World Equestrian Games was in 2018, Tryon International Equestrian Center. Hmm. And that's actually where I was introduced for the first time in my life to reigning was in May of 2018 when I, it was the only Western discipline growing up in Texas. I was kind of excited to see cowboys, but normally at Tryon Equestrian Center where they're doing the show jumping and so forth, there's a lot of nervous horses. There's a lot of spooking. There's a lot of care. Um, It's sort of like everybody's walking on eggshells because there might be an explosion. Mm-hmm. And then you go in this barn full of, not barn, but a giant, like multiple barns and arenas full of three-year-old horses yeah. who are just as calm as a grandmother knitting on the, on the porch. Absolutely. And yeah. I was curious, and you may, you may have the answer to this to pull back the layers or the covers, but 
Is it the training? Is it the horse yeah. breed? Is it the people? Why are the, why are the, is it really as different as I think it is? And if so, why? Well, it's interesting. I've done a lot of thinking on this. Okay. Because this is like, I coming, uh, coming from that English world and like, I used to try to hide my horse from all the things that scared them. And that was how I survived. And I, I was quite competitive and, and I remember feeling fear a lot. And so then when I went into the, the Western world, I'm going to go back to the petting for a second because one of the greatest parts of it was that you'd go to these horse shows and these horses are all standing there in between their classes and the riders, like there's no one to be seen. Well, they are, the riders are there, but they're stepping away from their horses. No horses are putting nose to nose and squealing at each other. The horses Mm -hmm. are standing calmly. They're walking into the arena calmly and then they're going and riding their hearts out and they're walking out of the arena calmly. And I was like, what is happening right now? Is this magic? So then getting more versed in the Western industry, I started looking for the places that looked a little bit like my old familiar grounds, where it was an individual sport, things looking for more finesse. But one thing didn't change, and it was the mindset where these horses were so exposed and there was less excuses. Mm. So the one thing that I could say about the Rainers and really seeing that shift is understanding the importance of training the mind of a horse just as much as the body. And I think that is really the key. And I think it's missing in some disciplines is that we really have to focus and make it a priority to make sure that our horses' minds are just as well-trained as their bodies. Mm -hmm. And that it's more about, um, and I talked about accountability and awareness in my last interview um, on my podcast, and it really is about accountability and awareness and not making excuses for our horse's behavior and our own behaviors and really holding everyone accountable. And I did have a conversation with someone who was it. I feel like it was Jake Lundell of Lundell Performance Horses. And when he and I were talking, he actually spoke about the reining horses at a really high level. So he was working at at a reining trainer's barn at one point. And now Jake used to be like, completely immersed in the Clinton Anderson program where you're constant, constantly desensitizing and, and working on the mind, but it's from a different perspective because he said the most amazing part of being at this, this top training or reigning training burn is that these two-year-olds were walking around like the most relaxed horses you can imagine. And he said, that doesn't come without pressure. Mm-hmm that those horses are as relaxed as they are because of the amount of pressure that they're receiving within the training program that they're in. And those horses are having to be in tune and having to be very aware and very present while someone is around them at all times because the expectation of them is so high. And then they go, whew, okay, well, guess you got this. No problem. I'm right here. I'm listening. What do you need from me? And I think that's the, I think that's the difference. I think yeah. it's that demand on their presence with the person when they're with someone. Well, you know what that's reminding me of? Um, I think one of your early interviews was Warwick Schiller. Yep. My very yeah. first one, Lynn. The what? very I, I, first one. Talk about fear. <laughs> because he 
I've, st- I, you know, somehow Facebook figured out I was into this. And so they started feeding me his stuff and now I eat it up with a spoon. Right. Because so much of what he, the journey he is on is so similar to the journey I've been on, not necessarily around the horses, but around connecting to the deeper part of myself and learning how to mm-hmm. listen and really hear the kind of cues that people are giving me. And, you know, he applies it also to the horses. Yeah. And this sounds exactly like the kind of training he's talking about where he like, and he's transformed even in the last few years about really connecting with the horses that he's hearing them. Yeah. And I had a a sort of sort surreal experience um, here where when I just want to get on a horse and not have a lesson, I go, we have a really cool uh, trail ride near me where we're riding on very steep hills. We go through a Creek. The horses all have personalities. They're, they're not, none of them are shut down. They're all um, very well trained and very calm. But I do all, also still try to pay attention to their signs of relaxation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they also ha- uh, have favorite horses that they want to walk near and not walk near, right? Mm-hmm. And I was on a new horse one day as we were going out. I'm sitting on the horse in the barn. And as the biggest horse went out, this ho- I could just feel this horse didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And as I, in my mind, like sort of acknowledged that this horse just blew out, like completely relaxed, like, mm-hmm. oh, she hears me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how the hell mm-hmm. did that horse just hear me? But I think Warwick Schiller's showing us mm-hmm. they, they, they actually are tuned in at that level. There's a really cool exercise that he started talking a little bit more about and it's I don't even know if it's necessarily an exercise for our horses as much as just an exercise for us mentally um but where he would put a horse on a on a circle around him and he would make sure that his zero ask so his lowest ask was just thinking for that horse to move off of him to move out and he said the amount of horses now that he's very in tune that step out off of that thought versus having to use any physical cue is amazing. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about is really tuning into the fact that our horses hear us on a different level than we would ever be able to just naturally be like, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, some people really know. Some people have different abilities than others and and are connected on different levels. But you know, when we're not that in tune and we know that, that we place our own, you know, we, we place human emotions and human communication on all animals that we interact with, right? So we really try to humanize them in our interactions. So the idea that someone or something can communicate with us off of a feeling or a thought or an energy just it's so far from our existence sometimes that it doesn't feel like it's ever possible. Um, so then we never start there. We always start with a higher level of pressure, which would be something physical or verbal. Yeah. I have an interesting story actually about my trip to Costa Rica and our ability to tune into that um, energetic communication. And I had never experienced this in my life. And I do believe there's, I I think the place that I was in in Costa Rica, it's called a blue zone. It's one of like one of eight blue zones in the world or something. I can't remember if it's seven or eight or how many. And so I was in Nozera, 
Costa Rica and I was there with a really close friend of mine. So this certain friend, we've been friends since high school, early high school, and she's not the type of person that I speak to every day. We're not together all of the time. We live in different cities. We'll go years without speaking. And then all of a sudden something happens and one of us reaches out and we're connected the same way that we've, we've always been connected. So I hadn't seen her in quite some time and I went and she lives in the same city as my mom. So I was there for a night and I messaged her and I said, do you want to go to a movie or no, it was probably some sort of event. I typically invite her to go to these crazy events that nobody else really wants to go to with me. <laughs> and uh, so I said to her that, that trip, I said, listen, like I just booked a trip to Costa Rica and I think you should come. And she was like, that is totally on my bucket list. Yes, for sure. I'm coming. Like no questions asked. She didn't say I'm going to ask my boyfriend. She was like, absolutely. I'm going to be there. I was like, okay, we go in November. She's like, okay, sounds good. So we go on this trip and we have to share a room. And so I'm really comfortable with her anyway. So sharing a room is not a big deal, but the very first day we were literally in classes for eight hours a day. Like this wasn't a retreat that you go on and you're just relaxing. This was hard work. Hmm. And so the very first day we were there, I think it was probably like five or six o'clock in the afternoon. And my head was pounding so hard. Um, I get really, really bad headaches when I'm going through a lot of transformative thought. Hmm. And so I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and she was actually drying her hair. So she had her back to me and she had her head flipped down and she was drying her hair with her hair dryer on. And I looked across from my bed and I looked at the table and there was a bottle of Advil on the table. And in my head, I went, oh my gosh, I wish I could just get her to hand that to me. As soon as the thought crossed my mind, she switched off the hair dryer, grabbed the bottle of Advil, handed it to me, and then went back to, to doing her hair. And I looked at her and I was like, why did you just do that? And she was like, I have no idea. I have no idea. She said, I just, I just thought you needed it. And I was like, okay, that has never happened anywhere else in my life. It has never happened again since. Um, but it really showed me the power of the energy in that specific spot. And I feel like I was at such an open, vulnerable state and we've had, we have such a close connection that it just was able to happen. I love that story. And as soon as you started, you, I, I kind of knew where it had to be going because <laughs> I actually had it happen. And, you know, I think we've all had that experience where we think of a friend and we look down and they've either texted us or they're calling. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's happened to me more times than I can count. And when I, you know, worked, um, actually after the podcast that you heard me do with Bruce Anderson, mm -hmm. the next one coming out, I actually was on their podcast, Witty Tales. It hasn't come out yet, but it was right after he finally, for the first time in all the training I've done with him, he actually put me on his horse, Marley. Nice. And, and as we were working and we were interested in the round pin, but as we were working, there came a moment where he took the bridle off <laughs> and he said, now I just want you to work with your, your lower body, but more importantly, I want you to work with your mind. And I want to see if you can work with him and move him with nothing more than your picture. And there were several moments, not a hundred percent of the time by any means, I was definitely mm -hmm. having to use my, my legs to some degree. But with no bridle, I was able to, at different times, get him to work in a figure eight 
with just my intention. And it was, it was very surreal. And yet mm-hmm. also I'm going to use the word hopeful mm-hmm. because I found that I could see a path where being able to create those kind of pictures with the people I work with mm-hmm. and in the leaders I help train to do this, it's like, this has come into our conversations now. Mm-hmm. When we say leaders are supposed to have a vision, to me, it's like another word for vision is a picture. And if you're yeah. so clear on the picture, then you can enroll other people to help you create that picture. Absolutely. And have you, Lynn, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because yeah. it, like, I, if I forget to say this, I'm going to feel devastated. <laughs> have you looked into mind movies at all? So Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about them a lot. I know Joe and Dispenza, yeah. So he has some training on mind movies. And okay. I'm not, I'm a visual person in the sense that I use visualization techniques in my life, but it's, it's, I feel like it's a little different because I don't actually see pictures in my mind ever. Mm. Um, so, and I know a lot of people, I, 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 you know, getting into how people think is always so interesting, but I know people have a hard time understanding that sometimes that I literally, like if I shut my eyes, there's no, there's no pictures. Like I'd, I've never seen a picture in my mind. So when I visualize, it's more about feeling than anything else, which I think works really well when it comes to visualizing things with my horses, because it all comes down to feeling. But these mind movies that he talks about is doing exactly what you're talking about, where you create such a clear picture that your energy just hyper-focuses you to be able to go towards that. Um, it's, It's what you see, and it brings situations and people and circumstances all in your favor to be able to actually bring that to a reality. Well, I love Joe Dispenza and we will put this in the show notes for sure. Perfect. And we'll look into this because the other thing that I've seen him do that I think comes down to that feeling you're talking about mm-hmm. is that he's he got some amazing ways of breathing yeah. that help kind of clear some of the distortions that we end up with in our energy field. Because I don't think a lot of us recognize with our energy and with our feeling and the feelings that we put out into the world. Um, but this is kind of back to that congruence as well. But mm-hmm. if we are feeling disconnected, angry, uncertain, mm-hmm. um, that we're still carrying stuff. If yeah. we are, if that's in our energy field, it's coming through almost like static mm-hmm. when we're working with other people. And he's got some really cool ways to clear that up with breath. Yeah. I think the breath work is really cool too, because um, as horse people, maybe it's a little easier to see the power of breath because when you're working with a horse, you can, it's audible, right? You can actually hear the change in their breath as they go through different emotional states. So maybe it becomes a little more clear, but I think it's so easy for people to hear the words, you need to take a deep breath and know that it's something that like, it didn't come out of nowhere. People didn't just start saying, take a deep breath just for fun. Um, But to actually know the power behind it, Mm -hmm. to understand the healing power of breath alone is life-changing. And it, it's one of those things, like when you were talking about going out 
into the field with that horse and it's triggering a little bit of fear or a whole lot of fear. Um, and understanding that if you can focus on your breath and really control your, your breathing, that's a really great place to be able to start learning how to regulate your emotions and regulate your physiological response to your emotions. Um, and I think that's the most important part for people to understand is that when you start to change your thoughts and your emotions, then you're actually changing the chemistry in your body. And that chemical reaction, so often when we have these crazy thoughts, then it gets so far that we don't have control over the chemical reaction that then results and then the feelings that happen. And it's almost like this like out of control loop that we hop onto versus if we learn how to catch it at the beginning. And you know, um, are you familiar with heart math? Uh, yes. I have another amazing story. I'm not going to tell you because we'll be here all day. Well, I I won't go into the amazing story. I mean, but I'm sitting here looking at my little heart math device that I use regularly. I should take a photo because I literally like, I'm like three feet away from my heart math box right now. Okay. So we both (laughs) understand heart math and and we won't dive in too much because you're right. We will be here all day. But, um, but we may have to think, have a part two. In fact, I can't yeah. imagine not having a part two. Yeah. But the nice thing about heart math with the breath work is if you can find that rhythm and how heart math helps mm. you find it, mm-hmm. you restore your body back to its congruent state. Yep. And it's the being able to get to that breathing under pressure. And I think this is why we have to work under pressure, just mm-hmm. like our horses train under pressure mm-hmm. so that we can access that part of ourselves at will that is mm-hmm. so important. And I love having a device like a heart math to give that mm-hmm. kind of feedback. And it's so important for people to understand it's possible. Yes. And you know, it's funny because we know that it's possible for our horses and we expect it of our horses. But this is, this is something that I've been doing a lot of thinking on lately is the language around anxiety for people, the language around mm-hmm. our response to our anxiety and the claiming, the claiming of our anxiety. My anxiety made me do that. I know. I have. Yes. And it's, it's as if you're giving a natural human chemical response, the power to run you rather than saying, Oh, I'm having that experience. We think the experience is up and it's not. Yeah. And, and feeling like I am just an anxious person that the terms Well, that, that, that sentence alone, I am just, well, we could talk about that all day, I'm sure, but I am just an anxious person. You, when you lay claim to that language, it's, it's life altering in a way that you don't want it to alter your life. You basically have given it the power over you. 100%. And I actually don't even like using the word anxious because- I call it fear soup. It's yeah. Really yeah. A bunch of, Accurate. You know, very yeah. um, multitude of things. And as soon as you start saying, I am anything, right. You start laying claim to it. So I've right. had that same bugaboo myself is yeah. for people to stop letting it run them, but to actually yeah. give it that pause. And I call it that pivot point to power yeah. where you recognize it. And then you go back and say, rather than going into my, whatever fear soup is and eating the cookie or 
doing the thing I do to resolve it, whether it's working too much or getting into busyness or whatever, is actually start questioning the feeling and giving it a new story and saying, this is just my physiology doing what my physiology does. Doesn't mean I have to own it. It doesn't have to own me either. The story is so important. So important. But the other important part of this, and this is for anyone who's listening right now and you, you suffer from um, anxious thoughts and anxious feelings and you really get stuck there, I want everyone to understand there is literally zero shame in feeling anxiety and having that anxiety take hold and making you feel out of control. There's no shame in that, mm-hmm. but there is a responsibility there that if you don't want to be there, that you release your claim on it and you start taking the steps towards learning how to regain that control over your mind and body and understanding that it is 100% possible, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of hard work. The best part of the whole thing though is that there are so many people in this world right now that we have access to because of the way of the world that not no one in this world right now is alone in it. No one is alone in their anxious world or in whatever they want to call it. And there's so many people, whether it be someone like you or myself or J- Dr. Joseph, Joe Dispenza, who does it at like this level that's way above my head that <laughs> I just like, I aspire to be able to be a quarter of what he is knowledge and, and energy wise. But there's, there's so much access to information these days that, you know, no one's stuck. We're not stuck. And um, if you don't want to feel the way you're feeling, it's possible to change 100%. That is such an amazing message. And I'm so glad you said that because there is no shame in being human and no. feeling what you feel. I've had it happen yeah. to me and it, it just, thank God for my training. Um, mm-hmm. Or one, one night I had a panic attack not that long ago because I had sinus drainage that made me think I couldn't breathe. Right. I think I could have actually died of fright if I hadn't had the the awareness that, oh, I can stop and breathe through my mouth. Right. (laughs) And doesn't it just come down to safety though, Lynn? Because right there, physically, you felt unsafe. And when we look at people who are being triggered by their anxiety, it's a lack of safety for whatever reason. And I think it's really important that people understand that it's their responsibility to discover what is making them feel so unsafe and how do they shift from that place into a place that is more aligned with who they truly are. And in order to be able to do that, they have to create a new story around it as well. And the beautiful thing about what you're saying is we have the power to do that. Oh, yeah. we don't do it alone. Um, nope. I watched Brene Brown on 60 Minutes this week, and I love her message around vulnerability, mm. and I love what she said. She said, we are not meant to do this alone. No. Nope. We are hardwired to be in community and to help each other. Yeah. And it also is very, very powerful to understand that we have this, this sort of access to the deeper, truer self of who we are, Mm-hmm. And we can help each other find that in ourselves. Yeah. 
So very, very powerful. So and it might, it might be a little difficult for people right now because, you know, we are in a place of social distancing. This is a situation that none of us have ever experienced. Yes, the world has experienced something like this in the past, but not actually. Not, not at this day and age with this amount of technology, with this amount of people feeling connected all of the time. And then all of a sudden we're at home. And I mean, there are skills that people knew in the past that we don't know now. I don't know how to garden, right? I'm trying to learn, but I'm not good at it. (laughs) Right? So there's so many things that are different about our world today that even though it's somewhat of a familiar situation because other pandemics have happened, this situation is very unique. And, you know, a lot of people right now are going to feel super alone, but this is, in my opinion, this is where the shift can happen, is that when you're feeling really alone right now, it gives an opportunity to go into a place with yourself that you can do a major, I want to say transformation, but it doesn't seem like the right word, Mm. but you can go through a shift personally that you have so much time on your own, You can learn how to meditate. You can learn the power of breath. You can do all of those things and we can still connect. And I feel like people are connecting on a different level right now than they were before because we're hyper, hyper aware. We're hyper aware of our need for that connection. And when we can get on a call like this, a Zoom call with our buddies, a phone call with our mom or whatever it might be, something that makes us just tap back into that need for connection. And then we go, oh, and you feel that relief. It'd be great if people could appreciate the connection to people in their lives on the other side of this whole upheaval, the same way that they're feeling it right now. That's beautiful because, I mean, you and I didn't know each other till today. No. Yet, look at how we have connected. And Um, it's as if I've known you forever. Because Isn't it funny how that happens with people? So it's funny. Did you, have you ever heard of the book, um, Old Souls Guidebook? I think no. it's the Old Souls Guidebook. I have it in my, I should be able to see it from where I am right now. I'll make a link to this for the show notes too. I know that it's up there. I don't know who wrote it and I can't see it on my bookshelf from where I am. But what it talks about there is really interesting because it actually talks about finding those people in your life that you feel really connected to right away. And you're like, why do I, why do I like feel so comfortable with this person right away? Why do I feel like we've known each other? And it explains that. And I'll, I'm not going to go into it because again, we'll talk all day, but (laughs) it's, uh, it's something I, I think you would really enjoy it. I think it's really cool. I'm definitely going to check it out as well as all these other, um, links. And I have two questions as we close out. Sure. Second question is going to be how people can connect with you. But this is my big question for you. Kind of back to where we started and you've kind of alluded to this, but in the, in this time that we're in, as we are facing unprecedented things that we've Mm -hmm. never faced for sure in modern world, absolutely, um, we are in the middle of a shift and I do see a lot of people seeing this as a shift to a, 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 a worse world. But I actually am seeing it as a shift to a better world. And I'm definitely hearing in what you're saying, you're hearing the same thing. So how do you, how would you describe your sort of 
picture or vision for this world and the possibilities of what we could shift to as a result of this, you know, upheaval that we're in the middle of? Well, that's a really big question, Lynn. (laughs) Uh, I really like it. I see a lot of people who are going to shift from a life that they didn't necessarily appreciate and they're going to start to be a little more grateful for what they have. So interesting, small conversation I had this morning. My sister's boyfriend is staying with us right now because his horse is in Nova Scotia and his uh, home is in New Brunswick. And that means that if he was to go home, he wouldn't be able to see his horse. Mm. So he is staying with us for now and he's an electrician. And he looked at me this morning and he said, oh, I'd really like to go to work. Like, I'd really like to go back to work now. And I said, well, isn't that funny? The amount of times that we say, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I just want to have more time at home. I want to do my own thing. And then all of a sudden people are saying, I want to go back to work. Like, I, so what is it that's making them want to go back to work? Is it the opportunity to connect with different people outside? Is it to make them feel useful? Is it to get their bodies up and moving? Whatever it might be. But if you're at home and feeling like, oh, I just want to go back to work, especially if for the last however many years you've been complaining about that very job, Hmm. try to think, what is it that's making you feel like you want to go back to work? And maybe you're at home going, I don't want to go back. And if you're sitting at home and saying, I don't want to go back, Maybe it's a time to reflect on why you don't want to go back. And maybe there's a change that needs to happen in your life. Um, I know for my family, my husband's been saying for a long time, man, we need to slow down. Like we, we just need life to slow down for us a little bit. We need to be able to spend more time with our daughter. We need to be able to spend more time with each other and, and actually, you know, appreciate and enjoy the life that we're building versus just hustling and, and constantly on the go. And then uh, everything shut down and he's like going crazy. <laughs> I'm like, this is what you asked for. You, you asked for our life to slow down. And now what? Like why we, if we are asking or if we're getting the very thing we've been asking for and then we're still complaining, then what exactly do we want? This is a fantastic opportunity for people to reflect on what makes you happy? Are you only saying and complaining about things that make you unhappy because it gives you something to talk about? Or are you truly unhappy in those things? And if that's the case, this is an amazing time to make some shifts. This is going to shift my husband and mine and, and myself. It's going to shift our business entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that our life is going to be different on the other side of this. Our daughter will spend more time with us. We are going to end up shifting our business more probably into the online space so that we can do that. And I think the other thing is that people are going to realize that that's a possibility, that a lot of things that we thought we had to do, we actually can do in a different way Mm. and maybe a bit more aligned with being able to stay and connect with your family a little bit more and, and connect with yourself a little bit more. And that I think one of the coolest things was I went to a talk given by Elizabeth Gilbert and she spoke about her partner had become very sick with cancer and she was given a short amount of time to live. 
And in her talk, she spoke about the fact that, you know, we're always saying, well, I can't do that and I can't do this and I have to do this and I have to do that. And then when somebody gets sick, when something happens in your life that becomes a top priority, all of those things you thought were a priority leave, right? So I don't have to go (laughs) there. I'm not going there. Don't have to have that conversation. I'm not making that trip. I don't have to make supper anymore. All of those things that we thought we had no choice about all of a sudden become a non-choice. They're like out the door, right? And I think this is a similar sort of feeling where we thought that we had to do so many things and it's not the case at all. And um, I think that's probably going to be the most important thing for everybody to take out of this is that we can make different choices in our life that actually align with who we are and what we want and really focus what exactly is it that we want. This is a fantastic time to, to discover that. That's Does that answer beautiful. your question? That's a beautiful answer. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's right in alignment with the kind of fun thing I've discovered working with myself and with others is a lot of times we think we, we don't know what we want but we sure do put a lot of expectations on ourselves that aren't even our own, you know, they came from other people. And so I think it's a good time to tune into what you are here to do on this planet um, and not what other people are here to get you to do for them. So I love that. How can people find you? Well, um, I am on Facebook at Nikki Porter coaching. And that's N I K K I. Yep. P O R T E R. Mm-hmm. coaching. And I believe my Instagram is Nikki Porter coaching as well. And my website's nikkiporter.ca. And yeah, so I'm, I'm in the process right now of building an online workshop for ho- horse owners um, where I start to really dig into the mindset and the mental process of becoming a better person that will then make us a better horseman or horsewoman. And, uh, so, you know, stay tuned for that. It's going to come out onto the website soon. And I have quite a few things kind of in the works right now. And, uh, you can go on my website and my book, conscious communicator can't speak anymore. Conscious communicator is there and, uh, yeah, reach out to me, connect with me. I love talking to people from all over. It's so amazing to hear this common thread that's being weaved among the horse community right now. Um, yeah. The whole world, really, but the horse community, I really feel like maybe it's just because I'm in it, but there's a special sort of change happening here. I think there is. I heard somebody say, um, it was the actually the guy that ran Netflix said, you know, he saw the video change much like the change from the horse to the car, hmm. meaning that for 5,000 years of humanity, horses were our primary transportation. And then we shifted to cars and now most people don't even know how, how to ride a horse or how to interact with a horse. Yeah. And it's just entirely possible that the world could go in a way that we might all need horses again, if not for our own psyche, but for our. Oh yeah. I, I, I believe they play a very important role in humanity. Uh, and every, every generation we're having to experience them in a different way or need them in a different way. And uh, right now I think we're seeing a shift where we're starting to discover their true reason for being with people, um, not from a place of service 
physically, but from a different place. And I know that might be a little woo woo for some people, but mm. um, I think when you look at the different services that are being offered with equine therapy and um, you know assisted learning and that sort of thing, I think that they're making an impact on our world now just as much, if not more than they ever did. They really are um, yeah. an amazing reflection and mirror to us. And mm-hmm. for somebody like me who can be completely full of it, I need that. <laughs> we all can be. <laughs> I need something that won't lie to me because I can yep. sure lie to myself. So um, I have, I've definitely um, really been, I don't know. Um, I, I don't even know the word, but they have just sort of, entered my re-entered my life after being the little girl that wanted to do nothing but riding horses to be in my sixties and mm-hmm. really starting it at that age is, is pretty darn amazing. And I can't imagine that there's going to be a time in the rest of my life that I'm not somehow involved with horses. So that is amazing. I keep thinking I need to tell you congratulations because to start something at an age where, you know, when I was, Oh gosh, let's say we'll go to like 10. When I was 10, my perception of what you do at 60 versus what you actually do at 60, right? So we all feel like, oh, well, when I, when I'm a certain age, then I'm not going to learn anything new. And I'm, you know, there's that you feel like there's a downward spiral that's going to hit at some point. And, you know, I don't think there's a downward at all. I think, I think that you just become more who you are and, more in tune with what you actually want. And then as time allows it, because we get a little more time freedom with age than, um, and maybe finances, they allow it as well. Then we, uh, we just want to become more than more of who we are. So congratulations. That's amazing. It's, it's really pretty. um, It's really pretty cool that I get to do Mm -hmm. this. And of course, you know, you probably know I'm also a a water skier and now Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to row a skull with, with a skull. Um, but what I'm recognizing is the only thing that I'm limited by is my thoughts. And so absolutely, as I, think I can, I can. That's right. So that's yeah. where we are. That's well, fantastic. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today for making this work and, um, being on, um, being on my podcast. I know my listeners are going to get so much out of this and awesome. we will definitely have to figure out how to do a part two, because I have, a thousand questions yet to go. We won't no problem. Lynn, before we go, why don't you, I'm going to share this on my podcast as well, oh, yeah. because I'm just going to do it as like a bonus episode, I think, sure. because where it's so connected to what's happening right now in the world, I think I want to publish it kind of sooner than I expected. So mm-hmm. I'd love if you could just share, you know, where can we find you? Um, okay. And wow what give me a little synopsis of your podcast itself and people you know what they're looking for sure so my podcast is called the uh, creative spirits unleashed and as you know the people who listen um, have learned i talk a lot we are we are focusing on balance and how to find that sort of true self of who you are underneath mm-hmm. and that's pretty much the basic uh, basis of my coaching as well. So my website is lynncarnes.com and that's to L Y N N C A R N E S.com. I'm on Facebook as creative spirits unleashed and also on Instagram as creative spirits unleashed. So okay. my Facebook and actually LinkedIn as well. Um, actually on LinkedIn, you find me under my name, Lynn Carnes. Okay. And I'm really active on LinkedIn and Facebook in terms of, posting a lot of stuff and cool maybe uh, i'll have to get some 
some uh, teaching on LinkedIn from you. I'm on there, but I'm not on there. <laughs> I, I would be glad to give you some of the ropes and how to manage awesome. it because I think a lot of what you do is for a LinkedIn leadership audience. And cool. okay. I also wrote, um, I've got a book out on Amazon called The Delicate Art. How to, oh, nice. I'm going to write that how down. How to say no and unleash your performance. And uh, I have a TED talk out there as well called From Raging Bitch to Engaging Coach, The Power. Ah, that's amazing. So, um, and I'm actually soon to publish a book on that exact topic of how not to ascribe motive to people who don't have a bad motive. So awesome. Positive intent. Oh my gosh. I, I um, am very much looking forward to that. That is a whole other topic all on its own for us to talk about. Yes. Remind me that we need to discuss that next time. Next time we will. Thank you, All so right. much, Nikki. And I look forward to our future conversations and my best of Thanks, luck. Man. I will be looking for your program so I can have it in awesome. my ear when I'm writing. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks All for right. having me. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening. And we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.